Well, good morning. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Psalm 32. Uh, Psalm 32 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we got a great day ahead of us, of course, as we continue in worship. Uh, we got our shindig tonight. Who's planning to go to the shindig tonight? Look at that. A lot of you. A lot of you. If you feel left out, hey, sign up. Sign up right after this service. Come join us tonight. You'll see an announcement at the end of this service. A time of fellowship, food. Uh, there will be all kinds of things, and uh, there will also be some square dancing. So, thought the Baptists can't dance. Come to the shindig tonight. You'll see that that's not completely true. Or don't dance. That's it, isn't it? Don't dance. Uh, we'll see if we can dance tonight. All right? So, Psalm 32 is where we are this morning. Uh, we're in a sermon series here for a few weeks called Songs for the Soul, uh, and we are basically taking a playlist, creating a playlist out of the book of Psalms, which is a song book in the Bible, and uh, we are studying these selected psalms uh, as we move towards Thanksgiving, uh, praying that God will use these to stir our, in our hearts gratitude and thankfulness uh, for God, and so uh, that's the objective of this study, and I hope you left uh, thankful Uh, Last week, for the nearness of God, for the sufficiency of God, as we studied Psalm 73, I pray that next week when you leave the service, that you will feel thankful for the the faithfulness of God, as we as a church will be studying Psalm 103. But this morning, I pray that you will leave here thankful for the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God, as we study Psalm 32. Stand with your Bibles open. I'll begin to read in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose the spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Some people pronounce that Selah. It's probably Selah is the correct pronouncement. Uh, But that is a word that we really aren't completely sure as to the meaning of it. But scholars believe that it is a word that's probably here uh, in times of worship to cause the people to stop and think about what's being read. So we're going to do that. I acknowledge my sin to you, acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, but not like a horse or a mule without understanding, or be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, we know that you're here in our midst today, you're in our lives as followers of you. So we know you're here today, God, but in a special way, Father, we pray that we would encounter your presence. Lord, I pray that you would use this psalm to open our eyes to the truth, to the beauty, to the awesomeness of your forgiveness. And I pray that we would leave here a people feeling blessed, a people rejoicing and thankful 
for a God who's merciful and full of forgiveness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this text, it's a simple text, but it's a very rich text. It's one of 75 psalms that David authored throughout all the psalms. And it's a, it's a psalm that's in a collection of songs uh, called Penitential Psalms, which are psalms of confession. All right, And this psalm... Uh, one of the penitential psalms, it begins with the word blessed. Literally means happy. Now, I don't want you to answer this out loud because we know the church answer is to say amen to this, all right? So I want you to answer internally, inside of your mind, realistically with the way your life is going right now. If, it, if that word blessed right there, the Hebrew word, if it, it literally means happy, all right? Let me ask you, how blessed do you feel? How happy do you feel this morning? Did you walk up in here feeling blessed this morning? Did you walk up in here feeling happy this morning? Some of you are like, no, well, actually, we had a baby that was up all night, uh, and we didn't get a lot of sleep last night. So to say that I'm honestly happy, I don't know if I could say that, all right? I had a, 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 a tree limb fall on my car this past week in that windstorm. I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. I don't know if I'm completely happy. I'm going to feel completely blessed. Right? I, we've had some marital issues, me and my, my spouse, and, and so I'm not uh, sure that it's very recent, uh, very real, and, and even this morning, you know, I'm reminded, you know, I don't know if I, I, I'm feeling too happy, feeling too blessed. I got a report back from the doctor. I, I don't know if I could honestly say that I'm feeling very blessed, but I want you to realize this morning that when David says here that he is blessed, it has nothing to do with him experiencing some kind of magnitude of wealth in his life. He isn't talking about a feeling... Like feeling blessed in the sense that, hey, I've got a problem-free life. I feel blessed. I feel happy. No, David is describing the state of his life as blessed because he's encountered the divine grace of God in his life. In other words, David's able to say genuinely, hey, I can say I'm a blessed man, that I'm a happy man because I'm a forgiven man. See, in this psalm, what David is doing is he's connecting happiness with forgiveness, In order for you to truly know happiness, in for, order for you to truly walk in joy, in order for you to truly walk in peace and satisfaction, you must experience forgiveness. You want to experience happiness? We live in a world where a lot of people are chasing down happiness. It takes experiencing and walking in daily forgiveness, namely God's forgiveness. How much do you know about God's forgiveness, forgiveness this morning? How much have you thought about God's forgiveness this morning how do you view god's forgiveness this morning so that's a very important question to ask because we got to make sure that we separate the way that we as humans naturally tend to look at forgiveness and and give forgiveness and experience forgiveness in the way that god's forgiveness works all right what the way that i as a human being the way that you the way that uh, we uh, naturally forgive is very different from the way that god forgives We've got to be careful that we don't start viewing God and His forgiveness based on who we are. And, and by doing so, rob ourselves of the joy and blessing that can be ours by living in an awareness of who He is and what His forgiveness is by hanging on to and thinking about Him and our relationship with Him through the lens of our human experiences and how we relate to one another. I mean, just, I'm going to give you an example, maybe to help kind of bring it down to earth for a second. Think about the way that we forgive, humanly speaking, that we naturally forgive. Let me give you a few defining statements that kind of share the way that humans can tend to forgive. First, isn't this true, the way that we relate to each other? Our forgiveness is available, but not yet. Is that true? Right? Like, okay, my forgiveness is, okay, I'm willing to show a little mercy and forgiveness, but let's just wait, let me wait to see how you carry yourself. Let me wait and kind of check out your attitude. 
Right? And then along the way, I'll see if you can experience the fullness of my forgiveness. Second defining statement that helps us understand how we can tend to think about forgiveness is this. Our forgiveness, humanly speaking, as we relate to one another, is often our forgiveness is filed but not forgotten. You know what I mean by that, right? Oh, I'll forgive you, but I've got it. I've got it filed away. Just in case we run into this again, I know where to find it. Third defining statement about the way we forgive is this. It's limited so watch it, don't push it. It's limited, right? How many times have people just kind of crossed that line with us where we kind of run out of forgiveness for them? Here's what, here's what I know today. There are some of us in this room that are struggling in their relationship with God because you've deduced a God based on who you are. Based on your understanding of forgiveness in the sphere of human relationships. And you've either really kind of lost sight of or you're just completely unaware of who God is and what His forgiveness looks like. And you're carrying around a weight and a burden that I want you to know this morning, you don't have to carry around. You can actually experience freedom from as you study this psalm. This is a psalm that we can experience freedom from that burden. It's a psalm that can help our hearts experience afresh the happiness and the joy found when we know the true forgiveness of God. So we're going to learn about that. We're not going to learn about it from like ideas that David's going to share about forgiveness, just purely that. We're actually going to learn from his experience with experiencing God's forgiveness. All right, we're going to break this text up into two parts this morning. Uh, the first part is going to be this, the misery of hiding in our sin. And the second truth is going to be this, the joy of experiencing the true forgiveness of God. Let's look first at the misery of hiding in our sin. Now, it opens up, this 30-second psalm opens up with that word blessed, right? But that's really where he ends up, right? So that's where he ends up in this psalm. That's where he arrives. So if that's true, let's, instead, let's look at this psalm, it, it, kind of the, at the experience in the order that it takes place for David, all right? It actually begins in verse 3. He says in verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. All right? Now, if you just read that by itself, it's kind of like, what's David talking about right there? It sounds very poetic, right? Is, this, is he like having a rough time in his life with his health? His bones are wasting away within him? Well, no, this is actually reaching back to a very specific thing that happened in his life. In 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, you actually read about it. Some of you are familiar with this. If you have been around church for a while, if you are familiar with your Bible, David serving as king of Israel is recorded in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. Uh, up to that point, uh, he's been a great king in Israel. The nation has flourished under his leadership. A lot of things going right. But he began along the way, as can happen, he began to allow pride to grow in his heart. He began to get arrogant. And there was a time that's recorded in chapter 11 there of 2 Samuel when he should have been out at battle with his men, but he's sitting back, he's lounging on a rooftop, uh, you know, just taking in the glory of his kingdom, kind of reveling in that. And he notices down on a rooftop below him that there's a woman bathing and she catches his attention and he's so captivated by her that he sends one of his servants to go and bring her to the house where she spends the night and he commits adultery with this woman. Her name is Bathsheba. Well, Bathsheba's married to a man named Uriah who was actually one of David's mighty men who was out doing what he was supposed to do, fighting a battle. And David thinks, he's done this, he thinks that, that he, this is like kind of one night with Bathsheba, it's something he can cover up, that he can move on past and sweep under the rug in his life, but then he gets word that she's pregnant. 
So he begins to try to cover up the sin. He concocts a plan that ultimately is to have her husband, Uriah, killed. There's more manipulation and deception and sin details in that story. You can read that in chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel. But ultimately, David has him sent to the front lines of the battle where he knows Uriah will be killed, meaning now David's not only committed adultery, he's committed murder. Along with all the deception and manipulation and disobedience mixed in. And he brings Bathsheba in. She makes her his wife and he tries to cover it all up he tries to fix it all himself and for the next several months of David's life it's filled with guilt and with shame related to his sin well about a year later in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 what we read is that the prophet of God Nathan comes to to David and he confronts him in his sin and it's in that moment that David feeling the weight of his sin feeling conviction because of his sin, embraces the forgiveness of God, and he writes, there's a whole, we could, it's a whole sermon for itself, right? But he writes a, a, a psalm out of that experience, experiencing the forgiveness of God, and Psalm 51 is, is the psalm that all of us are familiar with, right? Creating me a clean heart. It's a very popular song. But he also pins a second song and the heels of that experience, and it's the psalm we're studying this morning. Psalm 32. When he says here, he says, Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What is he talking about there? He's talking about that year of being away from God. That year of carrying the guilt for his sin. He says, for a year I was miserable. For a year I was hiding away from God. It was an agonizing year. But notice what he recognizes. Who he recognizes is behind that misery. Is behind that agonizing weight that he was carrying. What does he say there in verse 4? He says, your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon me. That's interesting. See, the misery and the guilt related to unconfessed, undealt with sin in your life, when we get into a text that begins to confront our sin, did you know that's actually the work of God in your life? See, guilt and pain are actually similar in a way. They both can be seen as a gift, if you think about it. I'm going to give you an example, guilt and pain. Let's talk about pain for a second, all right? So because in my life right now, I have three kids. They're all in three different schools, elementary school, junior high, high school. We're always running in all kinds of different directions. we got baseball practices. I'm involved in both of my son's uh, baseball teams. I, uh, we're running around to, to band practice. We're, we're just always on the go. Because we live life in the fast lane, it means at times, occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, we're going to eat food on the go at fine food establishments. I don't know. Maybe like places like Taco Bell. All right? Don't judge me. You can judge me secretly in your mind. And so the other night we stopped and got uh, some Taco Bell and, and brought it home and uh, they, you know, because I didn't eat mine immediately, we got home and it, it kind of gotten cold. So I threw it in the microwave, right? So, uh, yeah, I know. Okay, so they, they already microwaved the burrito in the kitchen at Taco Bell. And now I'm microwaving it for a second time at home. It's gross, I know. But I would rather eat it hot than cold. And so it's in a paper bag and I put the burrito in the microwave. And I'm just standing there in the kitchen. All of a sudden I hear, what's that noise? What's that funny noise? And I turn around and I'm like, there's a ball of fire in my microwave. 
All right, and so I pull the, the door open and I, and I get to get, I mean, the, the, the paper bag just comes up in flames and I pull it out and it drops on the ground and I'm in there like stomping this bag and my, my kids are, the, the smoke alarm's going off and my kids are coming in to check it out. My seven-year-old son's running through the house going, I, we have never had a fire. I've never seen a fire here before, you know? And so I'm stomping it out. Rebecca's coming in, giving me that look like, what have you done, right? And so she's helping me. We finally get the fire put out, praise God. How embarrassing would that have been for the house to go down in flames, for the news to do a report on that, right? News at six, right? The, we've uh, concluded with the fire officials that the, uh, the fire here at the Revis residence was the source of it was a flaming burrito bought from Taco Bell. But praise God, we got it put out. You know, if you are wondering if there's any, you know, silver lining to this story, the burrito did survive, all right? Did I eat the burrito? You'll never know that. I'm not going to tell you that, all right? Now, why in the world am I telling you that story? All right? Because there's a couple times in that experience, one when I pulled the bag out of the microwave and it's on fire and I drop it, you know, and then the other time near the end when we extinguished the flames, when I picked up the foil on the burrito and it burned my hand and I pulled it back, that we can remember something that all of us have experienced. It's easy to understand, right? That in certain moments of our life, pain can be your friend. When your hand touches a hot iron, when your hand touches a hot stove, when your hand touches a flaming burrito, it's in that moment that that pain in your body, part of your life, is warning you, hey, you're destroying a part of your body. Hey, do something. And so it is with miserable guilt that can be in our life because of covered up sin. It's there to warn us. It's there as a warning from God. Hey, it's just, this is going to destroy parts of your life if you don't do something about it. So let me ask, are you experienced conviction this morning in your life about some kind of sin in your life? I'm here to tell you this morning that as you feel that, that is the heavy hand of the Lord on your life and it is an absolute gift to you. You know why? Because the most unloving thing that God could do is to allow us to live in our sin. To allow us to live unbothered, hidden in our sin. To make it to where you feel no misery or remorse for your sin. No urgency to be reconciled to a heavenly Father who loves you. But because He loves you, He will not do that. He will indeed place His heavy hand of conviction on your life about those areas where we hide our sin. Why? So that we may turn to Him and experience His graciousness and know the wonderful sense not only of His forgiveness, but the happiness and the joy connected with being a forgiven sinner. And after a year of covering up that sin, David does just that. He turns to God in verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I confess my transgressions, and God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And now we're at verse 1. That's why I am blessed. Happy. There's no happier place on earth. Some people claim they know where the happiest place on earth is. I promise you it ain't Disney World. It's a happy place. You go to Disney World in the summer with a two-year-old and you spend about two hours and tell me if it's the happiest place on earth. It ain't the happiest place on earth. But what David experienced is that the happiest place on earth for a Christian to be is undoubtedly when you're in a place of hiding nothing from God. 
in a place of experience restored fellowship with your heavenly Father. That's what David is experiencing. And when there is no undealt with sin in your life, when your fellowship between you and God is restored, it is a place where, hey, fellowship is restored, but this is it. It's a place where you become soberly aware of how amazing it is to be a recipient of the complete, full, permanent, eternal forgiveness of God that is yours as a believer. And that's why David's heart's exploding with, I'm blessed. You get a hold of that, it don't matter what's happening in in your life. You can leave this place to go and, hey, my life's falling apart, but I am blessed. I'm happy. Why? Because I am forgiven. And that's already into our second point this morning, the joy of experiencing God's forgiveness. That's the misery of hidden sin. But we also see in David the joy of experiencing God's forgiveness. Now, what does it look like to experience and know and exist in Truly, the forgiveness of God. We're going to let this text answer some questions for us, okay? We're going to start real basic. All right, number one, what is forgiveness? We need to answer that. We need to make sure we understand that because we have some skewed views of forgiveness sometimes that can creep in because of our interactions with other people in the way we contend in our flesh to forgive others. So in a few of these verses... uh, not Paul, David gives us some defining statements about forgiveness. So this isn't like a complete definition of forgiveness, but it definitely gives us some biblical defining statements about forgiveness. Number one is this. God's forgiveness removes the guilt of our sin. God's forgiveness removes the guilt of our sin. Look at verse one again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That word transgression, that's a word, that word transgress. It means to step across a boundary. So with the decision that David made with Bathsheba, with Uriah, he is, he's very aware that he has stepped across a boundary that is laid out clearly in God's law. And David's been living with the guilt of having transgressed against God. Right? But then David says this. He says, how blessed is he whose transgression, crossing that boundary, doing what's wrong, is forgiven. Right? That word forgiven there, that's a Hebrew word that just literally means to lift up, to take away. It's the picture of something being carried far away. So the question is, if that's true, if in Christ our transgressions are removed far from us, How far are they removed from us? That's the big question. Let me read a verse from Psalm 103. We're actually going to be studying that psalm next week. But look at this picture that the psalmist psalmist paints in Psalm 103 about this issue right here. How How far does God remove the guilt of our sin from us? Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Now, I want you to think about this. When was this written? This was written in a time when most of the world viewed the world as flat. So this is a great apologetic argument to bring up with someone who would you know, bring scrutiny against the reliability of Scripture. This was written during a time when the world, the predominant view in the world was that the world was flat. And yet here we have God in his infinite wisdom, thousands of years before that predominant view would shift and people would see it, uh, it, you know, as a globe, the way that we see it now. Here's God in his infinite wisdom as the creator of the world, knowing it's not flat, saying as far as the east is from the west. Right? Not as far as the north is from the south. That's important that he doesn't say that, right? He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Why does he say that? Why does he say east and west? Here's why. Here's why. And not north and south. This is why. 
Did you know if you left our parking lot today and you just became a world traveler and you just traveled by automobile, plane, and boat just north as far as you could go, you just kept going. Did you know if you just kept traveling north, there's going to be some point that you're going to begin to travel south? So you're going to travel north, you're going to get to the North Pole, and you're going to get to that point. And once you cross that point, then you're going to be coming south, right? In other words, the distance between north and south is a measurable distance. If God had said, as far as the north is from the south, so far do I remove your transgression from you, that would mean that you could get online, you could find some kind of maps app, I'm sure it's out there, and you can measure the distance from north to south, and you can know how far he has removed them from you. But he didn't say that. He said as far as the east is from the west. Why did he make sure that that was what he said? Because you know what? You could also leave the parking lot today and you could start traveling east. And do you know how long you can travel east? Forever. You can travel east an infinite amount of time until you decide to turn around and start traveling west. You can travel east forever, forever and ever and ever. And here's what he's saying, that God in his sovereign grace has removed the guilt of our sin from us and the distance is infinite. It's immeasurable. Here's what that means, child of God. Here's what that means, Christ follower. It means he doesn't hold it against you anymore in Christ Jesus. That's why David said, blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Second defining statement. God's forgiveness covers the shame of our sin. Last part of verse 1 says, whose sin is covered. That word sin, it, it just, at its Hebrew root, just means to miss the mark. It's the idea of falling short of what's expected. So David's not only been carrying the guilt of his, uh, his shame or the the guilt of a sin, but he's also been carrying the, the, the shame of not measuring up, the shame of missing the mark. But again, after he experiences and embraces the forgiveness of God, and that fellowship is restored, he begins, and it begins to settle in, again, the position he's in as a child of God, as a recipient of the forgiveness of God, of what that means for him. And that's why he said, oh my goodness, bless, I've been covered. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. That word covered, that's a Hebrew word that means to conceal, to clothe, to cover up. What David is doing right here is he's declaring a statement of truth about the judicial forgiveness of God in your life as a child of God. It covers, it covers forever, it covers with permanence your sin. You think he's going to need to remember this? You think there's a reason why he's rejoicing in this moment right here? You think after all the shameful things he did that he's maybe going to struggle at times with feeling shameful and feeling unworthy? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel unworthy as you look back and think about things you've done, even the things that you've gone to God about and dealt with? Feelings like, I don't measure up. I'm ashamed of the things that I've done. I'm, I'm ashamed of the people that I've hurt. I'm ashamed of the thoughts that I've had, the words that I've said. David right here, he's been there. David, that's why I love that God includes the messiness of people's life in scriptures because it reminds us we're not alone. David is right where you are. And yet he's also gripped, aware of those voices that can bring and heap that shame that's already been dealt with. And yet in the middle of that, he's gripped by the depths of which God covers his sin and his heart begins to rejoice as truths like that are found in Micah 7.18 begin to grip him. Who is a God like you, Micah says? 
pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will treat our iniquities underfoot. You will, listen to what he says, you will cast out all our sins in the depths of the sea. I love that. Micah doesn't say, hey, rejoice because God's going to cast out most of your sins. Or God's going to cast your sins into the shallow end of the ocean. No, he says, hey, God covers it, covers all of your sin with the depths of the sea. You ever lost anything in the depths of the sea? You ain't finding it again. What he's saying is, oh, as he's back in fellowship with God, He's soberly aware of what it means to be a recipient of God's forgiveness and what that means. And it means you don't see me for my sin anymore. You don't see me for my shame anymore. Don't miss that little word in there all in Micah 7, 18. That means, listen to me very carefully. If you're a child of God, if you're in Christ this morning, that means that all, all, all my past sins, all my present sins, and all my future sins, have been covered. Now you're like, ah, I was with you past, pre, present, but I, I'm, wait, 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 about future sin. I'm not, I'm not sure what, what to think about there. Before you let that distract you, let me just remind you that when Jesus was on the cross dying for your sins, all of your sins were future sins. So if the cross isn't sufficient to cover all future sin, then we're all in real big trouble. He's removed the guilt of our sin from us. He's covered our shame and the shame of our sin. Hey, so we don't have to stand in His presence anymore or ever trying to do the song and dance religiously, trying to put on a performance, trying to be good enough, trying to earn something we can't earn. We get to stand in His presence and our sin be covered and be imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And we get to stand in His presence forever, covered by His grace, loved, accepted, righteous, forgiven children of God, all because of the forgiveness of God. Third defining statement. God's forgiveness wipes clean the record of our sin. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. In some of your translations, it may, the word impute may be there, right? So how blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute. So this is an accounting word. It just simply means record keeping. God's not a God who keeps records. We're people who keep records, aren't we? Most of us. Some of us more organized with our records than others. But most of you probably have a filing cabinet in your house or you have a filing system in your house. Maybe when it comes to your tax records, you're like us. We, we use these boxes and we put in all of our uh, you know, uh, files and, that are filled with all of our different you know, transactions from the year and we organize them all. And at the end of the year, we put a, a year on it and we you know, tape it up and we put it in the attic, right? So we, we keep a record of things like that. Why, I mean, it's good, right? If the IRS comes along and audits you, you pull out transactions and make sure you're all squared away. But I share that because, again, when God's forgiveness begins to get meddled with the way we view our lives and our experience, things can get unbiblical. And we've got to be very careful. Because I think a lot of people think that I'm a Christian, but I think somewhere up there, there's like a storage unit that's assigned to me, and there's a bunch of boxes in there, and, and what's been filed away in there are all the things that I've done wrong, even the things that I've been forgiven of. 
And that when I do go to God, it's kind of like God kind of comes out. Maybe I come back to God and I'm dealing with something again. And God says, hey, okay, wheel his box in here. All right, wheel his box in here. Right? And he, they wheel in all my boxes. And God kind of takes out my records and says, what are you in here for? Okay, so, yep, looks like here in uh, October 96, looks like you were dealing with this then. Mm-hmm. Yep. You dealt with it again the next month. You were really struggling with that that year, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Ooh. Struggled with it the next year. Oh, you also struggled with some other stuff there, didn't you? I see some records right here. And, uh, man, let's get, get, let's get, oh, even last year. Look at here. You were struggling with that same thing. Same thing we're talking about with now, Jonathan. What are we going to do with you? What are we going to do with you? That's the way that we view God when what David is saying right here, God has no record of that. He doesn't remember our sin. We're the ones, and I'm talking about sins that have been confessed. I'm talking about sins that have been dealt with. He does not remember those. He does not keep record of those. He's not hanging on to those. We're the ones who hang on to those. We're the ones who come up to his presence and it's God, it's me again. I want to talk to you again about that thing that happened that we've already talked about, that I've already confessed to you, that I've already brought out into the light, that I've already asked you to, to help me deal with and to cover with your grace. I want to talk about that again. And, he, and he's going, what are you talking about? Like, I have no record of that. I wiped your record clean. I have sovereignly and graciously chosen to remember it no more. Amen. That's what forgiveness is. Which brings up two quick questions this morning. 85% of the sermon was spent on the first question. So if that's what forgiveness is, you should be starting to think about two questions. Number one is this. If that's what, how is that possible? If that's what forgiveness is, because I'm just going to be honest, that sounds too good to be true. That God removes all your guilt, that God covers all your shame, that God completely wipes your record clean. How is that possible? Is it that God in His love, just kind of like in His benevolence, just kind of sweeps it all under the rug? No, He can't do that. Is God a benevolent God? Yes. Is He a gracious God? Yes. Is He a kind God? Yes. Is He a loving God? Yes. Is He a merciful God? Yes. But He's also, before those things, a perfectly holy God. Which means He can't just sweep sin under the rug. He will never overlook a single transgression. It all must be paid for because He is a just and holy God. Well, then how is the guilt removed? How is the shame covered up? How is my record wiped clean? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's the gospel. This is the reality. There's, there's a penalty over every single one of our lives for our sin. And it's a penalty that none of us can remove. Going back to the first, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they tried their best. They, they sewed together fig leaves. They tried their best to hide from God. They tried their best to deal with their sin, and yet they found out the works of their hands were not good enough. There's a penalty we can't remove. There's a penalty we can't adequately pay for, but this is the gospel. Jesus absorbed our sin debt. He bore our sins on Himself. He paid our sin debt in full. Sin always costs someone, but this is the gospel. It doesn't have to cost the sinner. Jesus paid it all on the cross, and He's the only one who paid for it. 
Do you remember the last thing Jesus cried on the cross as He was dying? He said, it is what? It is what? It's the Greek word, tetelestai. It means paid in full. This is it. The bill's been paid. It's been paid in full. The gift for complete forgiveness is available. It has been made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The third question this morning and the final question is then how do I experience it? If that's what it is and if it's possible, how do I experience it? Look at verse 5. There's three words there. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Three phrases there. Acknowledge, do not cover or did not cover and confess. In the Hebrew, those are three words. Acknowledge, and that just simply means to make known. Did not cover, that just simply means to uncover it, to get it out into the light, to get it into the open. And then the word confess right there, it just means to agree with, to say the same thing about, to agree with what God's word calls your sin. To step into that place in humility and to own it, to confess it. And really if you, you can reduce all of those down to this phrase, alright? What all of that is saying, what all of those words point to, what he's expressing the reality of there is that the way to experience God's forgiveness in your life is to get honest about the sin in your life. There's two applications there this morning because there's some of you who don't have a relationship with Christ. And I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We have such a big view of God here. We think it's not an accident. It's not, it had nothing to do with any of us or even you that you're here. We believe it's God's plan that you were here this morning. It's not an accident that you're intersecting with this very message on this very Sunday morning. But some of you have never experienced God's forgiveness. And I want you to hear me. God's forgiveness is available to you this morning. That shame in your life that you keep running from, you feel uneasy about, like in, in moments like this, like, you know, whenever something called sin is talked about, that can, be, that can be wiped away this morning. That record of your guilt, the record of your sin, can be wiped away this morning. You can experience forgiveness, but it takes you being honest with God about your sin. This is the message of the gospel this morning. Jesus did die on the cross for your sin. And how do, you, how, do you, how do you take part in that? How do you benefit from that? It's repentance. You confess your sin. You agree with God about your sin. You turn from your sin and you throw the weight of your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that what he did on that cross counts for you. And you know what you'll experience? Freedom from that burden of guilt in your life. Forgiveness for that sin in your life. And your record being wiped clean. If you've never experienced His forgiveness, I'm talking about His complete, full, permanent forgiveness in your life. It's available to you. Repent and believe. Second application is to believers. See, when it comes to forgiveness, and I want you to listen very carefully to this, you have available to you the gift of enjoying God's forgiveness daily. You have the gift available to you of walking in a sober awareness of how amazing it is to be a recipient of the forgiveness of God. 
And how do you do that? It comes through walking in fellowship with God. You know, that's what John talked about in 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a, that's a verse written to Christians. That's a verse written to believers. Like, don't hear me wrong on that. My, my sin has already been forgiven. He's not talking about the punitive effects of your sin right here. But I don't get to enjoy the freedom and the joy and the blessedness of daily walking in that forgiveness unless I'm living honest about my sin before God. This is not talking about your standing before God for eternity. But I want to be real with you. You got covered sin in your life right now? You have hindered fellowship between you and your Heavenly Father. And there's no way for you to walk in the joy and the peace and the satisfaction and the blessedness of being a recipient of God's forgiveness. You know what David would say to you? He would say, who knows the blessing of living a life out in the open, right here, after great sin in his life had been committed, he would would beg you this morning to say, don't take another step forward without bringing that into the light. That's how he spends the rest of this psalm. He like turns into a confession advocate. Like if you ever, like if you ever run into a, like a restaurant advocate, somebody who goes to a restaurant and they won't stop talking about it, you gotta go. You get the best cheeseburger ever. You gotta, did you go? Did you go eat there? You gotta go check it out. You gotta go taste it. And here's David who's tasted the grace and the forgiveness of God who's living in the light saying, you've got to get to this place. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. He says down in verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. That's David's plea in this text. Bring your sin into the light. Don't be like a mule. You didn't think you were going to come to church this morning and hear David tell you don't be like a mule. But he's saying, why are you being stubborn? Why? A mule, I've read, evidently can be so stubborn that it won't come in to its barn where it can experience refuge because it's so stubborn, it will literally, it will literally stand outside in a hailstorm and get beat up on instead of coming into that barn. And so are so many people who call themselves Christians. Stubbornly staying, covered in sin, What is it for you? Maybe you've raised your voice to hurt your spouse instead instead of helping them. You've used your words to bring harm instead of help. And yet, I don't know how long ago that was, but you still stubbornly stayed in that place and not called that what it is. Sin. Maybe it's sexual sin. Like David. You hold on to that sin, it will bring destruction to your life. Or you can bring it into the light today. And it may be very, very difficult. Sometimes the consequences for our sins will stand, hey, but we will know the forgiveness of God and how God can take some of the most terrible, tragic stories and turn them into a story for His kingdom and for His glory. It's better to bring it into the light. Maybe it's selfishness or lying or some kind of sin inside of your life and it's just sitting there covered up. Let me just just ask you two questions this morning. Number one, why are you hiding from God? 
You think you can hide from him? You think you didn't see? Like, why? Like when my little kids, when we used to play hide and go seek. And I remember Benson being like two or three years old and standing in front of the living room. We all went and hid, and he's just standing there like this. Because he thought with his eyes closed, we couldn't see him. And how often do we look like that in the eyes of God? Like, why do we hide? Why do we hide? And the second is, why would we not, not take God up on his offer for forgiveness? Why not take him up on the offer of forgiveness? The result is that you'll be blessed. The result is that you'll experience true happiness, living as a sinner who has been forgiven. The result is that you will be walking in fellowship with God. And the result is that you'll live out verse 11. You'll be glad in the Lord and you'll rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you of upright heart. Listen, there's no happier place on earth to be than someone who's living with nothing to hide, who's walking in the light. And so this morning, I can't reach into your heart and change it. I can't force you down an aisle to to kneel before God and confess sin. I can't force you to, to sit there and deal with it. All I can do like, is like what David did is to say, don't be like a mule. Don't be stubborn. Bring that into the light. Experience in a real way the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God and leave this place blessed today. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and there's sin in your life, I'm telling you right now, listen, there's going to be a thousand reasons in your mind right now not to deal with that and to think about going to lunch and to think about getting out of here and to think about what time it is. There's going to be a thousand different reasons why to justify that. But I want you to know all of that comes from the enemy. Listen to God through his word this morning saying, come to me. That may be you experiencing the forgiveness of God for the first time. Somebody coming to Jesus for salvation, I'll be standing down front, would love to pray for you. Or that may be you as a believer, you've just been covering your sin. And in order for you to walk out of here feeling blessed and feeling happy as a forgiven sinner, excited and elated about the gift that it is to be a recipient of forgiveness, the fellowship's got to get right. So you'll have an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond.